Okay, welcome to the Site Pen Podcast, episode number seven. Today we have a new member joining us. We have Jacob. Um, I, I forgot your last name. Rufa. Just tell us what it is. It's okay. Rufa. I'm Jacob Rufa. I, I'm the newest hello. member of Site Pen. You are the newest member of SitePen and the newest member uh, to appear on the SitePen podcast. But I think you're only like the fifth or sixth SitePenner, so and, there, and we have like 25. So well, where's everybody else? The newest. Been? They, you know, they're working. Yeah. Like, what is that about? It's a good point. We got, to do. we got podcasts to do. <laughs> we have the entire support team on the podcast right now. <laughs> yes. Yes, today uh, we're taking your questions live, um, which Paul Shiana will really enjoy that because he really wants to have a live audience. Paul, why don't you say hi to the live audience at home? Hi, all. How are you doing? I think this is the third time oh. I've said hello to the, the imaginary audience. Yeah, no, and uh, I guess, though, that like pretty much regardless, they are live if they're listening. Like They may not be like undead responding to us, but if they're listening, they're live. So I guess that's it's kind of like the... The sign you see on the freeway, like live girls. I'm like, what's the? Is there like one that says anyway? I don't think those relate. To um, those are separate ideas. <laughs> yeah, it's a different uh, rest area. It's a different, you might be different confused. Don't, don't go to one of those places. You'll be surprised. <laughs> I, I just wanted to get a drink <laughs> of water. Um, and my knife sharpened. <laughs> what? Doesn't even make sense. I also have Nick Nisi. Speaking of not making Hey-o. sense. Yes, I never make sense. <laughs> As he knocks into his microphone, <laughs> that was and mean. yeah, yeah, and we have Neil Roberts, who is a minority from the Bahamas. Yeah, I'm just happy to be here. We are just happy to be here too. Today we decided to do something different, and we we put on video. You're not going to be able to see it at home um, or wherever you are, but we we're doing it so we can see each other. So it's actually very interesting to see Nick sweating to the oldies. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun seeing who's really antsy and has to be moving around constantly, and who's. Just kind of sitting still. Yeah, well, Nick really looks like he's dancing, like for real. Uh, it, uh, it's not my fault. I am on a sugar high as directed. Uh, yes, yes. I think it's, it's more like sitting desks versus standing desks, really. Yes. Yeah. Standing. It looks well, like my, Nick and I are all standing. So I have my. I'm sitting, but I have my desk almost at standing height, so that the really? microphone's by my mouth. Yeah. Huh. Well, I am sitting, and I'm not even close to standing height. And I have a whiskey cart behind me that everyone can see now. Because my keyboard's kind of up by my shoulders right now. It's really an odd kind of location. That is an odd setup. Um, okay, so before we get into the show, um, we're going to talk real quick about what we're going to talk about today. So Nick's going to talk about const and let. Um, I think I typed that five different times. Every time I put, kept putting constant and he kept deleting it. Because I'm not very bright. Um, I also broke my finger before the pre-meeting, so I can't type very well with my broken pinky finger. Um, so that, I'm gonna give myself a pass there for screwing that up. Um, do you guys want to hear about that? I like do. My broken finger. So like eight weeks ago, I was playing flag football, and I went to grab this guy's flags, and my my pinky went somehow into his pocket. And then he spun at the same time. So it actually just pulled my finger to the point where his pocket ripped with my pinky finger in it. 
So after the game, we played two games, and this happened in the first game. After the game, it was cold and wet, and I took off my glove, and all of a sudden, it just ballooned up like massive. Like my finger was it almost twice the size. And everyone's like, dude, you need to see a doctor. And I was like, ah, I'd be fine. So I iced it and everything. So eight weeks later, the swelling goes down enough to finally see that it's completely like, like it's going like this, but then it's like bent downward. Like the little tip is like bent down in a way that is not natural and not possible to do normally. <laughs> so I finally went to the doctor who then said, yeah, uh, you tore the ligament, which then tore the bone off. So I decided I'd finally splint it and, and do that. So now it's very hard to type. Um, that's my story about hurting myself. That's the first bone I've ever broken. It so, doesn't feel good. It feels awful. In this special episode of the Sightband Podcast, we'll learn why you should go to the doctor after an injury. Why, why you should go to the doctor <laughs> for an avulsion fracture. Yeah, it's I'm not like you guy. need your hands for what you do, though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, part of the reason I didn't go to the doctor was because I was afraid that if it was broken, they'd have to actually do surgery and like do that. And I was working on a project and trying to get it done. And I needed to be able to type. And so I just really was trying to avoid it to finish the product. That's what I do for our customers. I, I avoid the doctor <laughs> with broke. I, I code with broken fingers for them. That's my dedication. And I don't like needles. Um. <laughs> So, uh, Mick's going to talk about uh, TypeScript 1.7, and Paul, uh, not to be ever satisfied, will talk about the things he can't wait to see in TypeScript 1.8. Neil's going to talk about Taylor Swift, and I'm going to talk Swift, about CSS actually. variables. Yeah. Wait, is, wait, what did I say? Which is normal Swift, not Taylor. Wait. I you can do both. That. Neil, it's fine. Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. I'll do both. Okay. Yeah, because I thought you when you proposed the topic, I thought we were talking about Taylor Swift, oh, okay. and I really enjoyed 1989. Yeah, I was really sure um, you were going to sing a fan song to Taylor Swift. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be like a Welcome to New York thing that you did like with code or something. Mm. I'll try. So, I'll see what I can do by the time we get to my segment. Thank you. Nick can help you uh, out. Or Blank, He's, blank mm -hmm. Space would be another good one. He's a big karaoke fan. He is. <laughs> we should get Nick singing some Taylor Swift. Um, and then we're going to talk about the bug of the week and we're going to talk about, uh, IDE support in IntelliJ, um, for whatever that is, Paul, I don't know. Me and Nick are going to we'll get there. Yes. Nick's a huge <laughs> I fan. See it. And I just like to, you know, have Wait, stuff set up Nick for me. Wait, Nick likes Vim? Oh gosh. Nick uses Vim? I didn't know that. I'm, I'm excited is... for the segment where Nick does, uh, code completion for Vim. I'm, I'm pretty perfectly. sure that's going to be like an eight-part eight podcast where you have to set up like Vim over like six hours and then tweak it can over we do the next Vim three weeks. Podcast? Well, I don't know. Yeah, we I'm do not a Vim alone. Podcast, Jacob but... is also a Vimmer. So... <laughs> oh, Indeed. God. What have we got ourselves into? We need to screen you guys better before we let you in. If you have a beard, you have to use Vim. <laughs> Is, that's true rule. that's actually a rule it's in the it's a weird quirk of their licensing agreement when did that change for emacs no one uses emacs that matters so just the bearded people i thought god i must have gotten <laughs> okay so this episode uh is <laughs> this episode is sponsored by the letter j uh you can't spell javascript without the letter j so the next time you use the letter j think about javascript and think about the SitePen podcast um, so I just wanted to touch on real quick, uh, my, my comments about being an idiot. Um, cause I, I felt like we were talking about in the pre-meeting that I didn't want to be the one always asking the dumb questions. 
because I actually had a friend of mine who listened to the podcast and then they said, wow, I was really surprised that you didn't know something about something because I'm pretty sure that you knew that. And I was like, well, I did know that, but I can't just, you know, I'm trying to be the guy who like asks the question so that it leads everyone else to explain it to people who might not know that. And they're like, oh, I just thought you were really dumb. Um, and I was like, well, I am, but I did know that. So I just wanted to say that um, from now on, whenever I ask a question that I feel is dumb, I'm going to preface it with my friend wants to know, um, and it's code. So just if I start talking about my friend who is curious about something, that's code word for I know this is a dumb question. Well, there's um, no such thing as a dumb question, really, Tori. That is untrue. Everybody uh, asks Jacob wants... all your dumb questions. <laughs> Let him change his mind. My, my friend Have wants you tried to... turning it off and on again? I'm going to try the choke now. Yeah. My friend wants to know if you can be too muscular. <laughs> okay. So, Nick, why don't you take us into the spotlight on... That's my sound effects, because I still haven't figured out how I'm going to do sound effects. So... There it is. There's Thank my spotlight you. on sound effects. You get you Take like it away, Nicholas. Thank you. A duck and everything. <laughs> the production quality here is just, it's its inspiring. It is. I'm like a Foley <laughs> artist over here. So the spotlight. Um, in this section, we've been going over cool things, uh, mostly that are coming up uh, in future versions of the language of, of JavaScript. And uh, this week is no exception. We're going to talk about let and const. So those are things. There are new keywords that are coming to JavaScript. And um, you'll use them in a lot of the same way that you use the var keyword to create variables. But they work uh, really different from, from var. So um, with var, you have um, hoisting that goes on. So... And, and the scoping of the variables that you create are all scoped to the uh, nearest function declaration. And so if you were to create a var foo inside of an if statement, uh, that would actually also exist outside of the if statement everywhere inside of that function or globally if it's um, not inside of a function at all. But with let and const, uh, it actually gives us a little bit more of what we would expect when we create a variable inside of a block. It gives us that block level scoping. So now that variable, when we create it with let or const, can only exist inside of that if statement or inside of a for loop or um, whatever other block statement that we have. So that makes it a lot easier to, to work with. It makes it a lot easier to write cleaner code that does what you expect. You have to declare the variable uh, before you use it, and then it's only alive in the areas that you expect it to be alive, and it's not leaking outside into uh, other blocks and such. The difference between let and const is they both are uh, block-level scoping, but um, const has a few uh, additional ways to use it or a few additional rules when using it. Um, when you use const, you have to declare it with an initializer, so you have to set it to a current value. And so when you set it to that value, it can only be assigned uh, that value once, and then it can't change from that, so it becomes immutable. And so, so like a constant? Yeah. Oh, wow. 
That's why you kept writing constant. But just to be clear, just because it's const doesn't mean you can't assign it to an array or an object and then change the contents of that array or object. Correct. My friend doesn't even know what that means. (laughs) It'll always point to that that array or object, but you can manipulate the contents of the array or the properties on the object and continuously do that. So it's not, you're not creating like fully immutable objects with that, but for... But, but right, you just can't change it to another point to another array or another object. Right. For example, you couldn't set it to a string site pen and then change it to the number four. Um, that wouldn't work. So, uh, and then my friend wants to... I just to put on some Carmex there. <laughs> I saw Nick looking at me as I was doing that, and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like... This setup really looks like the Brady Bunch. Getting pretty. Getting pretty. Go ahead, Paul. Right. I interrupted you again. No, that's fine. So, um, and then just to be clear, even though it's it's lexically scoped to your block that you're in, um, you can still pass it in a return or you can pass it outside the block. It's not going to go away on you. Correct. Yeah. It's just where it, where you can, like you said, kind of, for lack of a better word, export it to other areas. Like you could return it from a function and use it somewhere else. But... Uh, by default, it's not going to be, it's not going to exist um, anywhere else in, outside of that block that you define it in. And so, um, yeah, it, it just makes it a lot cleaner. Sometimes you'll you'll see some bad written JavaScript that has uh, var statements below where they're actually being used, um, and that still technically works because it just gets initialized up at the top of the block. But with let and const. Uh, that'll actually throw an error, so you'll be able to catch that earlier. It uh, it makes it easier to write clean, understandable code for everyone. So that's that's a big. So did they use did they use let and const um, just because? Uh, I mean, is it just because to to provide backwards compatibility for var and all the weirdness that could do? Like this is kind of how they var should work. So, but you can't really change var now. Yeah. Or is there other reasons that they call it like let and const? I would assume that that's the reason that they want to have backwards compatibility and so people can start using it right away, but it doesn't change the the way that var actually works and uh, it won't break any of the already existing code that's using var. And you might write code where you still need to use var. Um, I'm failing to think of an example where you would... Yeah, so in the future, would do you envision that var would just not used anymore and you would always use const or let um possibly i think is it true that in our uh for example we write a lot of typescript in our typescript um ts lint config don't we force let and const instead of var maybe paul or Um, neil would know that better i believe so like nowadays you pretty much have to have a pretty decent reason to use var as opposed to let const what it might you know one of my favorite things of const is that you can as a developer say that this thing ain't going to change and so if you're going to return it out of an object or um you know even a class literal or something like that you can rely on it being the same array or the same object or the same value all the time um and so you can pass that that reference around and know that it's going to still point back to the original uh, the original reference where it came from, whatever the source was. So nobody's gonna, you know, reset your array by creating a new array and replacing the the array in your your origin with uh, 
with something, you know that they're always going to have a reference to that original array, and you can add stuff to it, and it's not going to get lost into the ether. So what are you guys going to do in support once all these things are fixed? Because then no one will write bad code anymore that breaks. We're going to write interesting <laughs> things and, you know, be amazing developers. You just have a lot of leisure time, I guess. Yeah. Write some poems and well, paint. It'll be more philosophical. Taylor Swift. It'll be more philosophical. Like, people will ask us about the, the nature of coding. <laughs> so you just be like a guru up on the hill. Exactly. Come talk to me. Sit around, children. You should code in stillness. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I like that, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Nick, for uh, for enlightening us on const and let. Yeah, um, and uh, I was just going to throw in that um, let and const are not. They're available in uh, Chrome, at least, inside of a function that has strict mode enabled, uh, but not outside of that. I believe they're available in Node 4 as well, um, so that you can just use them out of the box in Node 4 and up. Um, so, And then you can use them, of course, with a transpiler like Babel. Nice. So uh, getting to the news. That's my news fact. I don't know. Is that really? It's kind of like almost like a horse race. Yeah, super exciting. Uh, TypeScript 1.7. Uh, was released and it has a few um, new features in it. Um, the main ones would be uh, async await functions are now a thing uh, for I believe it's for when you're compiling to an ES6 target. Is that I think that's right. Um, but async await functions those are really cool. Um, they basically make it a lot easier to work with asynchronous code. So we've kind of had this evolution going for a while now where, you know, all of the the, the standard node, uh, node APIs use callbacks for all of their asynchronous functions. So you provide the arguments you need and then a callback that receives an error as the first argument and uh, then the result of the callback, uh, I'm sorry, the result of the asynchronous action as the rest of the arguments. And that's nice, but it can lead to hard to read code with um, callback hell. So you have deeply nested structures that rely on the previous asynchronous action completing before they can continue on. And that can make it pretty difficult to read and maintain later. So then we got promises and we've been using promises for a while in Dojo, but they're now part of the language. You can use them in every browser, I think, except IE, including Edge. So those are a thing you can use. They're really nice uh, to work with, but they can also lead to some pretty ugly code. Um, it's harder to do. Like broken promises. Yeah. You have broken promises. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> um, they make it a lot easier because you can handle error handling in a lot easier way. You can just provide a catch um, call and, and then provide a callback inside of there to handle all error handling. Um, but they're still pretty hard to work with, uh, especially if you have deep or long chains of promises. Uh, with those, you it's harder to uh, maintain those over time, potentially. It's hard to do conditional things with those. Um, and it, uh, it can also lead to pretty ugly code, depending on, on what, you're, what you're looking at. It, it's not as bad as callback hell, but it can look pretty similar. It's like... The... So, it's like the scene in Dude, Where's My Car, where they're trying to order Chinese food, 
and they keep getting asked and then and then yeah and then and then it that's that can be promises sometimes yeah and then yeah no and then no and then and you can make them look a lot cleaner with with arrow functions i think just to call back to a previous spotlight so you basically are, are saying that you hate ugly code as well as big boned arrows <laughs> oh no i actually like big boned arrows okay uh, that's but I, good i do not like you ugly don't code. like uggos no uggos <laughs> no uggo code ugly code right, is hard to maintain it. and it's it's not as fun to so high maintenance uggo code is not cool with you <laughs> right okay just making sure i understand like where we're coming from here um so <laughs> so async functions um they actually make it even easier to work with asynchronous code so you can declare an async function by just putting the keyword async before the function keyword and that becomes an asynchronous function that you can call and when you call those functions you just use the await keyword before you call them so you can tell it to await the result of the callback from this or await the result of this asynchronous function you can also await promises so if, if a function is returning a promise you can await that as well and then when you use that you can just write um, code that looks like it's just running one line to the next but it's actually waiting for the previous action to complete before it does that the only catch is that you can only call um, async functions from within async functions i believe so um, a lot of times you'll see that code wrapped with an iffy or an immediately invoked function expression, an async iffy, and inside of there it can just do that. And then you can just read the code from top to bottom and see that you know, you're making this request and you're setting its value to this, and then you're taking that value and you can conditionally do things, which is a lot easier than uh, trying to do that with a promise chain. And uh, error handling is also very easy. You use uh, this this uh, quaint syntax called try catch. You may have heard of it in every uh, programming language. My, my friend has not heard of that, but <laughs> we'll, we'll let that slide. Yeah. So you just wrap the whole thing in a try catch call and then uh, it'll just catch any errors and you can print those out or do whatever you want to do with the error handling uh, there. So it makes this asynchronous code look like it's not really asynchronous. And so it's a lot easier to read what's actually going on. It's a lot easier to understand that. And it makes asynchronous programming uh, reachable to dumb programmers like me, I guess. Oh, so I should totally get on that then and use that. <laughs> totally. Great. Um, so that is, is there anything else in TypeScript 1.7 that you wanted to bring up or do we move on to 1.8? Yeah, there's one other thing. Um, it's the, well, there's actually two other things. One of them I won't really talk about too much, but the, um, exponentiation operator now exists in TypeScript. So you can just use double asterisk and that is super exciting. Um, yeah. <laughs> ah. Yeah, we needed more syntax. Yeah, my friend wants to know what you're talking about. <laughs> so you can do, if, if I wanted to get uh, two to the third, for example, um, you could do, what was it in previous JavaScript? Math.pow. Math yeah. Yep. So you could say math.pal, but that's just a lot of typing, and I'm I'm really lazy. Well, because I, I mean, so, I used to use that function so much that I'm I'm ridiculously happy how much space that's going to save in my code. Just yeah. mega, megabytes, <laughs> megabytes of space is going to be saved by not having to type math.pal. Well, 
Well, it sounds like we all win then. Now you can accidentally so that... type two asterisks in a row, and it becomes exponentiation. <laughs> yeah, yeah yes. now you can just you introduce go. more errors. That's yeah, it's win-win. <laughs> it keeps support going, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean we. Something there's a know. reason that we uh, we work with these people to to define the specs, and we really help out. Like you know, there's little. You know, the NSA puts bugs in things. Well, so do we. We literally put bugs in things. <laughs> Sounds like a truly resolved promise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so then the so, final yeah. thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> um, the final thing <clears throat> in TypeScript 1.7 or the final major thing is um, this typing. Um, so if you are familiar with um, APIs where they might return like this object um, so that you can do easy and simple chaining um, the this typing makes it easier to work with in TypeScript um, so that's that's a good model because then you can chain calls together get values uh, and do all of that in in simple um, in a few simple calls that's easy to read again um, but the problem is in in TypeScript before if you were doing that and you for example on their example page they have a, a calculator class and they have a couple of methods on there that you can do, you know, normal calculator functions, and all of them return this, and they just update a value uh, property on themselves. And so you can chain all of those, like chain multiply with add, and then get the current value. Um, and then you could use that exponator. Exponator. That's in the... I don't even know what I was trying to say. Exponentiator? That's in the more advanced calculator. The exmeninator. You know the thingy. That's really cool. Call it. The, the thingamajigger. <laughs> I don't actually know math, so I'm failing right either. now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but with that, then you could, for example, take a basic calculator and make it more complex. Add in more methods, like an exponentiation method, um, if that's a word. And it is now. <laughs> and do that, and uh, but but if you were still returning this. Uh, TypeScript before would throw an error when you end up calling one of the inherited methods uh, on the the basic calculator class, and um, so that's not the case anymore in TypeScript 1.7. Um, it has a a special type called this, and it's basically just whatever came before the dot, kind of what exactly what you would expect. Cool. So when you call that, it just it provides the correct context uh, of what you're calling. Back. So right. what I would expect in JavaScript is unexpected in and of itself. <laughs> the right prototype, basically. Right. Yeah. yeah. Attached to the object. Yeah. That's the thing. I'll, I mean, the whole theme of this podcast so far has been making JavaScript do what you expect with all of these new features. So yeah. JavaScript is just moving there. We've all been writing code like that for a long time, but now JavaScript is just giving us the ability to actually write code that we expect instead of just knowing that it's going to do what we expect because we wrote it in a clean way. We get to to clean it up, write it a little bit easier, and when and then it helps us to find errors a lot faster because yeah, we get to define we'll, some of the magic that we were doing before. Right. Now it has words like exponential nomator. <laughs> Explanatorator. Uh, so when we talked about the news, uh, when we were just you know, in our pre-meeting saying, oh, yeah, what are we going to talk about? Um, when we talked about TypeScript 1.7, Paul was like, I don't care. Whatever. No. Like, I'm waiting Nick for 1.8. Like, <laughs> no. 
I distinctly remember that it was like, oh, 1.7 came out. And you're like, yeah, but I'm really just waiting for stuff 1.8. That was like the first thing you said. It's just like, it's kind of like, hey, guys, it's Christmas. You're like, yeah, but New Year's is almost here. And that's all I'm waiting for, really. Like, I'm excited on. for Christmas 2016. Yeah, he's like, I'm waiting for next year's Christmas because this Christmas, I can just tell, it's not going to be what I wanted. Yeah, too well, warm. One seven's already here. We got to look to the future. That's that's how you keep like current, and that's how we answer questions. Exactly. That's how we. By the time you get to use yeah. something, it's already old, right? It's it's uh. Yeah, I want next like year's my fashion iPhone. sense. By the time you finish the to do <laughs> app, you have to move on to the next framework. It's just that's it. You have to move on to the next to do app. That's right. It, yeah, new framework, new everything. That's all, the first thing you put in your to do app. Yeah, <laughs> to do next, next to do learn is the next app. to do app. <laughs> so, what about the next version excites you? Well, uh, so one of the best things of the next version, and, and the only thing that I'm really caring about right now, is the string literal typing. Because um, string literals give you the option, it's used everywhere. It's used in JSON, it's used in events, it's used all over the DOM. Like, you need a way of defining what string values are valid when when you have a string that you're putting in. So like if you have a list of events that you want to limit to a certain number of strings as the type, you can you can actually define that now in TypeScript 1.8. So you can say, this is the list of valid strings. And um, before that, there's other methods. There's, you know, there's enums, but those kind of relate back to numbers. They don't relate back to a, a real uh, string-based uh, typing, you know, as you'd see in JSON from your server or you'd see from, um, from uh, events or even the DOM. Um, so you can't really use enums as a solution there. And then symbols are the same thing. Symbols are brand new. They're coming in, but um, they're good for defining uh, like IDs of things and, and kind of these concepts, but not, not great for conversing um, the way that strings are. So um, in TypeScript 1.8, they'll have string literal typings. You don't have to do any of these workarounds for enums or whatever you're doing now. You can actually say this is the list of strings is valid, and um, you can hold your developers or anybody implementing your your interface to that. So I think one one of the ways we were saying that this is going to be nice is uh, taking older APIs and kind of enforcing constraints. I, I mean, I think that's going to be the big win initially. Because this is, string literals are going to, I mean, from what my, my friend understands, uh, strings, <laughs> string literals moving forward are going to be more for edge cases. Uh, whereas in the, kind of right now, one of the things that they're best for is for uh, taking old APIs and enforcing constraints. There's a lot of that, but you're always going to use them at the, at the, the JSON level. You know, the, the, that edge between the server and the client where it needs to communicate. I mean, you can break it down to like integers and, and stuff like that, but string literals, you know, give you that, that conversational power to say that, you know, this is the type and this is, these are the possible values. And if you're not doing it this way, you're wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, things will change in the future probably, but I think we're always gonna have events. We're always gonna have uh, the DOM that uses strings in a certain way. And we're always gonna have that, that communication layer between client and server. Well, I can't wait for 1.8 now. Screw 1.7. I'm not even going to download it. Woo! I don't care. Just stick with 1.4 until 2.0 comes out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> why even upgrade at this point? Um, so, Neil, um, you know, I, I, there's a blank space here for you to talk about Taylor Swift. If you wanted to uh, to get all, you're a Swifty. 
finders hand right? Are you a Swifty? Is that what they're called? <laughs> Don't play dumb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is the brony talk again, isn't it? <laughs> okay. well, I'm actually curious at this point if, if that's what they're called. You're not curious. I am. You're well aware. Google it right now. You should Google it right now. It's in your history. Um, <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> Why don't you uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Swift thing? So I, I think the way this came up is in our pre-show we decided that we were just going to abandon TypeScript now that uh, Swift was being open sourced, right? Because now we're going to write all of our uh, JavaScript in transpiled TypeScript. Pretty sure that's what we all decided. Yeah, in our wildest dreams. Yep. Well, yeah, because I mean Paul was like, I'm going to looking forward to TypeScript 1.8, and I was like, I'm looking forward to when we write all of our apps in in types in uh, Swift. Yeah, I heard the web was dead anyway, so everything's native apps now, right? Yeah. So, yeah, um, what what was kind of exciting is that they've open-sourced Swift. uh, And who knows what we'll see, but one of the reasons they think Apple did this is because they're working on a lot of web frameworks that are written in Swift so that in, in kind of a perfect world as an iOS developer, you would write your app in Swift and your server-side component in Swift. And you can do a lot of neat stuff with, with Swift, like it is a very uh, kind of abstracted language uh, in the same way that a lot of the JVM languages are, where you kind of turn things into uh, an intermediary code that can then be processed differently in different environments. And theoretically, you could transpile with their tools to get down to JavaScript if you really, really wanted to. But they really missed the opportunity to call it Java Swift. Java Swift. Well, that's, I mean, maybe that's the transpiler. It's called Java Swift. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Use Let's write it. Uh, yeah. We'd use JS yeah. as the abbreviation. It'll be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want there to be any bad blood, but I just think that's a good idea. Yeah. There might be some problems. I think we can solve them. Um, <laughs> See, we knew it. <laughs> so terrible. So it's just uh, it's something I wanted to talk about because I think that uh, there there's probably going to be some more server-side stuff that we end up writing or, or seeing with Swift moving forward. Well, I'm not out of the woods yet, but I did um, make sure to try to drop most of the 1989 song, uh, song titles into our conversation Good. about Swift. Um, so if you're playing along at home, you know... Uh, it's a drinking game, missed? right? count them up and it's always well this podcast is a drinking game um so (laughs) all right we need to have podcast bingo swift is swift is open source that was the gist the swift gist well what's kind of nice on top of that what's kind of nice is that they've also open sourced kind of their community guidelines they've open sourced um the history of the language development they've open sourced so it's not like darwin when they open sourced it and it's open source and name only like no it's full on can you can you actually contribute and i think you can submit pull requests um and they don't have they want you to use a different bug bug tracker than uh github but otherwise everything else is going through github all the proposals are going through you can submit your own proposals which is kind of fun i'm gonna go propose java swift java swift right now you should i would i'll i'll vote on it or whatever github has great i'll have two two up votes don't forget to tell everybody about your new framework called taylor yeah, yes, and Taylor. putting Taylor Taylor up there. Um, well, I was just, just like Reddit. I'll have two upvotes on a great joke. Um, so speaking of Reddit, actually not at all, but speaking of the internet and people, 
Um, did you guys see the whole um, the CSS variables tweet and then the the fallout of people losing their minds on that? I didn't see the did fallout. Not. My friend didn't see it at all. No. Yeah. I just saw that they were subtracting one from something in CSS. <laughs> um, yes. I'm subtracting this variable name. Um, so on November 3rd, uh, Adi Asami. I probably got that Osmani, wrong. Osmani. Osmani. God dang it. I am so dyslexic. It's not even funny. Osmani. I, I sat there reading it slowly myself before this and then forgot how I was saying it because I had it. Sorry. I'm a terrible person. Um, so they just tweeted like a pretty innocuous tweet. It was just like CSS variables, custom properties have landed in Chrome and it showed like a screenshot and a couple links to like a JS fiddle, I think, or something along those lines. Um, and people like started to lose their minds, um, talking about and, and just responding with stuff like, you know, is this not completely redundant nowadays? Um, awesome. But why not just implement SAS as an acceptable alternative to CSS <laughs> in modern browsers? I don't get why this is such a big deal with the likes of less and SAS being around. Why are runtime variables useful? Um, and basically just a lot of those types of comments about uh, why, you know, we have trend, we have, you know, pre-compilers now. We have stylus and less and, you know, all those other uh, in SAS and, and stuff. Um, and, you know, basically the thing was like, well, why? Like, why would we need that? Um, which, you know, that was my initial kind of reaction, too, as I just read it. I'm like, oh, okay, like, whatever. And I didn't like the syntax at all. Like, I thought it looked really ugly because a variable is like dash dash yep. variable name. Um, and then to use a variable, you have to do var, um, you know, and then the variable name. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, bar parenthesis variable name. Um, and it's just, it's just weird, like, coming from using these precompilers. So I started reading more about, well, you know, challenged my assumption here of, clearly the people who are making this aren't stupid, right? Like they know what they're doing. So if I believe that if I'm starting to think, gosh, why would you do that? There's probably more to it. So instead of firing off an angry tweet, I just went and started reading the spec and understanding, well, what does it do that I'm missing here? Um, and it turns out it does a lot actually. Um, they aren't, I mean, the page title for the spec actually says CSS variables, but if you're only thinking about it in terms of variables, um, like in a precompiler, uh, it's kind of missing a really huge thing here, and that is that these are live custom properties. Uh, it's not just a a variable where you're like, okay, color, you know, background color is this. Um, you can you set these properties, and they cascade like a normal um, property would. So just like how maybe font size can be passed down to the child, um, your custom properties also get passed down, uh, which is pretty cool because there's the other thing here is that they're live. So in a pre-compiler like stylus or less, um, when you set, you know, because it has to compile down to CSS, whatever value you give it is going to be rendered out and put in as regular CSS in your CSS. So if you have like, you know, primary color is, you know, some hex color. Um, when you actually run your compiler, what it's doing is it's taking that and it's, it's just, you know, replacing the string uh, that you put for your variable everywhere. And so now you have a static CSS. But with, with CSS variables, the native CSS variables, you can change a variable while it's running um, and it'll update everywhere that variable is being used. So you can set... Um, you know, a background color to one thing and then later change it to something else. And you don't have to like recompile everything. Of course it's live. And you don't even need um, to, you don't even need to change the value. You can, 
you can add a new value further down in the hierarchy and kind of right. just override it. So that's really neat right. Too. Exactly. Just like any other CSS property, like you could set a padding on something, and then later on you can change a padding on you know another one. Well, you can do the same thing uh, with these custom CSS variables as well, because you can. Um, you know, you can set, you could say like, say you have in the header, you have a bunch of buttons in your header and buttons everywhere else. And you want the color of a button to be different in your header. Um, you can just change that variable inside the header block. And then you're going to, what you're going to get is, you know, it's going to just change it, you know, real time. It's going to change it right there. And you don't have to go and create a new, you know, a new variable. Like I have stylus files where the variable is like, you know, header button color. Well, you don't really have to set that, right? You just go into the into the header block and you say dash dash button color is you know this color. Um, so you don't need multiple variables to do the same thing. You can actually just override the variables, and then it, it doesn't mess with your that variable in a global context like it would in something like Stylus, where when you're when you're setting variables, they're always global. Um, in this case, it wouldn't be global. It would it's it's scoped to where you're um, actually uh, messing with it. So. Um, I think that's a really cool thing, and it's something that uh, people are saying. Well, what's the use case for that, right? Like beyond theming, you know, like oh, a theme, because you know, my my initial thought was, well, you know, like, say you have a dark mode or a light mode for like a, a reader, like a document reader, right? You want like a dark UI or light UI. Um, you know, you could just flick a switch, so you know, like press press a button, and it changes, and all you're doing is you're going to change those variables in real time, right? But there are many many uses here that probably aren't even that obvious yet um, that are going to be more obvious as people start to experiment with it and, and really push the limits of what we're doing now. Um, so, you know, there will always be, I, I think that it's much like JavaScript. I think that maybe some of the pushback here came from people who aren't used to this type of thing with, um, with JavaScript where there's, you know, there's all these new features coming out, there's transpilers and all this stuff. And, you know, they look at it and say, well, I use SAS or I use stylus. So why do I need this? And, you know, the answer is that, uh, you know, eventually you'll be able to use this if you want to, but if you want to use it the way you're currently using it, you're going to keep using your tools. And I think that you'll probably continue to use those tools regardless anyway, um, because I think there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that CSS doesn't quite support yet, um, that you're going to want to use a transpiler anyway. And I think that more stuff will come about. Um, so can you, you can't really use it today, um, except for in Chrome with, uh, not in Chrome, uh, you have to, it's not landed in Chrome without turning on some different options, but um, there is actually a way to start getting used to writing this way. Um, there are transpilers. Uh, one is called Myth, uh, another CSS Next. Um, so you don't get the true benefits of using CSS variables with these because, again, it's very much like Stylus, uh, as far as I understand it, where you know it's going to compile it down. But at least you can have um, a, a feel for it and start writing CSS now that uses those um, you know, the new syntax um, for, for variables. But uh, there's an article that was written in defense of uh, kind of explaining some of this stuff in more detail uh, by Philip Walton. Um, and it's called Why I'm Excited About Native CSS Variables. And he goes into pretty good depth about, about all the cool stuff here. Um, so uh, that was between the front runner and the guy who still can't What is that? <laughs> Who's watching TV? Just, someone's watching TV. I think I think Nick was just catching up on the Republican debate from the other night. I don't know what that was? No, I was trying to silence my phone and to prevent something like that going on. And uh, yeah, 
Good call. Good, good job. Nick. So this is what I have to deal with here every day, guys. Just how everyone knows. This is the kind of stuff. So Tori, is there a way to detect if the CSS variables are supported? Um, how do we know we, when we can use them? Can we start writing that code now? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, you can write it now using a transpiler or I, you see, the thing is, is that, um, there are probably ways, um, that these guys could tell you about that you could do to detect if it supports it, but it's kind of, to me, it feels like such a fundamental feature that isn't really backwards compatible, um, that I'm not sure how you would, you know, reliably say, okay, I'm going to use this even though it doesn't work everywhere, you know, whereas some things you can get away with that, um, you'd have to basically duplicate a lot of stuff to be able to, to do that because if you're inheriting rules, um, you know, I'm just not sure that would work. Well, there's a way to tell whether it supports it or not, but yeah, that won't really matter until. Right. So you'd need like two separate style sheets, one that has right. CSS variables and one that doesn't. So you're like branching <laughs> yeah. basically. Well, or it's more like, it's more like back in the day where you would, you would have to do things where you would write a selector um, like, You'd have to set height and then like max height in a, a certain order because IE six didn't support you know uh, max height you know would just so you'd say like okay height is this but then height is actually this you know like you'd have to do those kind of hacks to do that and that's basically what you'd have to do here because if you're saying well background color of this is is this variable well it doesn't understand what that means. So now you have to actually you have to like set a style first of what the color is. And then after it, you can use the variable and then it'll ignore the variable cause it doesn't understand it and go back to using the, the background color that's it understands. Um, so it's one of those things that it's a pretty fundamental change. Whereas a lot of stuff in CSS hasn't really been like that, where you can start using it and your fallbacks are, you know, it just, you know, it's not as, detrimental like you're not going to see nothing you know you're not going to see a very unstyled thing um but i i would say that to me like i'm going to continue to just use um pre-compilers for the foreseeable future until this gains enough traction in a few years to be actually useful elsewhere um but it's something to to start looking at now um and if you know it's tools like stylus or SAS uh, want to support this, they definitely could. And then it would make it a little bit easier if you could start using these, using this pattern, because while I don't like the way that the syntax is, that's not going to go away. Um, so maybe one of the tools will make it where, you know, dollar sign variable name just gets uh, compiled down to var, whatever. Um, that would be nice. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask is if you think that this, this might make uh, or give transpilers, CSS preprocessors, I guess, a um, like more power for what they can do in the future. So things like like I thought that this was kind of silly when I saw it because you know it's just another syntax for variables, but I am and pretty much everyone else is so set on using preprocessors anyway because they're just so much easier to use than than standard CSS. But if it could, I, I didn't realize that it could do more you know like setting variables with javascript and when you change those variables live they change everywhere that they're used that's really cool uh, and i had no idea that that could that's what was going to happen with this but do you think that that um uh, sass and stylus and less and all of them will be able to kind of build on top of this 
to in the future to make their their preprocessors more powerful for I guess dynamic content in the future. Let's go. I certainly hope so, but I think it's going to be a little bit of an educational battle of yeah. trying to explain why you'd want to do that to people. Um, it's got you know, and maybe yeah. It's got a better kind of inheritance idea that close more closely matches CSS. So I imagine that some of them will adopt that um, without the live updates. You know, like mm -hmm. I could see that being. Well, I mean, that's kind of tough because you're still going to need. It would need to have some sort of JavaScript, right? When, when the page loads, to actually track down how this stuff should work. Right. So I can't see like it being completely done in the preprocessor. But I mean, yeah, maybe that's what happens. Maybe some of these libraries start introducing JavaScript companion. Well, and yeah, and like how we said that you can currently, if you wanted to use these, you would have to basically duplicate your styles, right? Well, what's the difference between doing that and, um, you know, the whole uh, CSS3 prefix um, stuff that all the tools gained when you can, you know, say, you know, prefix my my rules and, you know, you write border radius, but then it outputs, you know, dash webkit, dash border radius and all those things. Like, you know, theoretically, it could be done in such a way that it would create the, um, you know, the, the fallback CSS and the new CSS. You could, you know, if you wanted to do a flag to, to tell to do that. Um, and then it's up to you. Do you want a, two different files that you serve up based on you know some kind of feature detection, or you know do you just have it all as one big file? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of so early in this; it's hard. It's hard to say. But I hope that I hope that it, it gains. I hope that people start to understand more about what it can do, and that more stuff gets written about it, um, and not just like the knee jerk, you know, oh, I'm you know why this is so stupid, you know, kind of kind of things. Yeah, and that that syntax is probably explained by by uh, you know the similar thing with. With vendor prefixes, they're all dash something, dash webkit, dash moz, dash whatever. And and so it's easy for, it's not a syntax error. CSS can just ignore that in the engines that it's not supported in. Right. So it won't necessarily break if you, if you had these changes in Chrome and working, but, you know, using IE10 or something, it would still Yeah, still and that's the thing. There's, they definitely, there were discussions about, you know what to use for the variables and you know they had reasons technical reasons for backwards compatibility which is a huge thing because you know the web is is you know this thing that you can go back to 1996 and view web pages you know it's like you know that code still works um and, and making stuff you know better while still um providing um, backwards compatibility is a difficult thing so i'm not jazzed by it um but I, I understand it at least. Um, so it may just be one of those things that you end up getting used to and you just go, oh yeah, whatever, I like, don't care anymore. Um, okay, so that's that's the uh, that's the meltdown of your CSS. Um, <laughs> do you wanna, we're running a bit long, so Nick, do you wanna tell us your the uh, bug of the week? Yeah, so I can be quick on this. Um, everyone, every web developer has to deal with CSS and uh, hopefully everyone is thinking about accessibility uh, while they're doing that. Well, one thing that is so common, like such a common bug with everyone, is the focus styles for CSS that the browsers natively put on form elements and buttons and everything. And that's when you tab through your your page um, and you get to a an actionable item on the page, like a button. It puts a blue-ish... Um, border around it or a bluish outline around the button so that uh, a user who, who is not using a mouse 
can see what is actually focused and uh, what is actionable on the page. And that's pretty cool, um, but it's really ugly. Uh, and, and so a lot of um, styles and, and themes try and reduce that in some way. And the project that I'm working on, we're, we've been trying to reduce that, but we absolutely do not want to break um, accessibility in any way. So the easiest way to to do this is just to set outline to none or outline zero on that, but that breaks accessibility because now if I tab to that button, it doesn't have the outline anymore and I can't tell what's, what's there. Yeah, um, and just to be clear too, it's not just like a, an issue of, well, I can just make it a different color when I do that, and then they can see it because when you're when you're talking about accessibility, you know, there are different like high high contrast modes and, and different things that they're not seeing the same thing that we're seeing, um, right? Like they can see like maybe they see a, a more black and white looking, um, you know, thing from their settings. Um, sure. So it's not just like oh well, I'll change you know my my stuff to have a color and then hey you don't need that thing i'm providing it for you because it doesn't really work that way right or they might, might not be, be seeing at all right and and yeah it can be hard for screen readers to determine what is actually focused and actionable on the page as well when you start messing with that and so i've been a i've been guilty in the past of you know wanting to set outline none on things like the entire digit project and others not proud um <laughs> Just because it makes it a lot cleaner and it, it removes those ugly styles in places like mobile and other places um, where you probably don't want to see them. Um, but we've been working with, with our client and, and working with their accessibility expert on trying to figure out the best way to go through with this. And um, they were giving me an example in Gmail, uh, in the Gmail app of how there's checkboxes in there and if you click on the checkboxes they don't actually get those blue outlines but if you tab through they do get the blue outlines and so i spent some time looking through gmail trying to figure out you know what are they doing in here are they setting up some kind of javascript event listener to do that are they doing it in css with some weird dash webkit uh things and couldn't figure it out and i'm not proud of this but it took me a long time to realize that it, that's just natively how Chrome works and how other browsers work is when you click on something, it cancels the focus um, style around it so you don't get that outline, but it does show it when you tab through it. Now, the problem is we still see that a lot because there's actually no standard for that. So the browsers are trying to, uh, in the case of, of like Firefox, for example, it's trying to do whatever the uh, native operating system would do in a situation like that when you're tapping through buttons or clicking on on buttons so on it, windows it just crashes <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> okay <laughs> um and so firefox gets it right and it if, if i have a button and i click on it and uh, i don't see the focus outline chrome also does it right or if i click on a button i don't see the focus outline the big problem is if you change the style of a native button in any way then chrome uh, defaults back to always showing that focus outline. And so that's that's a huge pain to get around. And there's actually a bug written up for Chrome uh, about this, and they're discussing fixing it, and it looks like they, they might do that in the future. But uh, just to get styled buttons to behave in the same way as non-styled buttons, which is terribly annoying. Um, but 
for now, the workaround that, that I'm going with, and it's not the greatest workaround, but I can actually solve this by just using three simple event listeners to capture mouse down, focus in, and uh, not focus in, uh, mouse down, focus, and blur. And I'm trying to do that in a more generic way um, for higher level components that we're creating so that I don't have to have three event listeners for everything because focus and blur do not bubble, so you can't use event delegation. But uh, I'm getting around that by using uh, event listeners in the capture phase. So I can sort of simulate that, and it seems to be working so far. It may be easier just to cure blindness. <laughs> exactly. Have you thought of that? <laughs> that may be an easier task. It, we should get on that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do parallel lines of research here. <laughs> it would just be way nicer if Chrome uh, would fix if that. If people but... could see, you're a terrible person, Nick. <laughs> I can't believe you would say that. Wow. I, I'm, Awful. I'm totally joking. I don't even know what you said. <sighs> I, that you said that it would be better, and I think I heard you say that it would be better if people could just see. I don't know. No. Your audio kind of cut out. That's what I assume you said. And for now, for the purposes of this podcast, that is what you said. I can't keep um, track of all the sarcasm here. <laughs> if it's coming from my little box, it's sarcasm. That's all you got to know. Um. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's my bug of the week is just trying to, to work around that. It seems like... Um, everywhere has every every common theme has that like bootstrap uh and others have this problem where they you know they, they don't want to break accessibility break the web but they don't want it to look terrible either and so it's a a fine line to to walk that's my story that's that's a good story i, I had a i had a witty thing to say and then i thought better because I don't have to go back and edit it out, so I'm not going <laughs> to say anything. Um, so Paul had a bug of the week, also. No, did you? Or is that just a joke in the notes? I think we're just. I think we added it to the notes just to keep track of it. And if we were low on okay. time, we're not. High yeah, on we're time, not low on time. Yeah, we are way over yes. here. Um, so, can you? Could do you want to cover the? Um, do you guys want to cover the IDE support in IntelliJ? I do. Or? Okay. I'm excited about this. You're excited about this? This is the only reason Neil came. You know, a little while ago, like the video was really nice because I just saw Neil. (laughs) Neil just got up and walked away a few minutes ago. I don't even know where he went. (laughs) He just like walked away. Then he came back and he's playing with some coins. He was just like stacking coins or playing with toys. I have no idea what he was doing. Oh, I was moving stuff around in the background, I guess. Okay. And then... Yeah, Jacob over here is satanically. I don't know what you're doing. Are you singing like Metallica really low? Now there's a child in the room. We have a child on our podcast. Do we have to? We had a child and a dog. Do we have to pay them now? Uh, in candy cane. Excellent. All right. Um, I was just going to talk about IntelliJ support for TypeScript and uh, IDE support in general. Nick, you know, throw in whatever Vim can do. I'd be happy to to argue with you. Uh, I know I will. I'll, I'll I'm always happy to argue with Nick. I know you're I know you're a longtime supporter of Vim and there's definitely pluses and a few minuses to Vim. But uh, I've always I've always liked IntelliJ because I can just buy it and it's done. Um, and you can buy it every year over and over. I know they just released that feature too, although I think there's a permanent licensing scheme that's out. I think I'm not that not they've convinced you that's a feature is enough for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, they're trying. 
uh, a lot of people aren't happy about the the whole buying a package. What is it? The Photoshop way, where you buy you yeah know, CS everything. Um, so they're they're trying to convince people that that's the way to go, and it's it's probably good for some people. I end up buying it every year, but I like that it's Adobe and Microsoft are brilliant about that. By the way, though, on a, on a short side note here, even though we're over time, because. You kind of have to buy the newest version because it, people send files and you need that file to open, right? Like, No, I stopped you know, you buying just, Office. I'm on like on 2010 on well, the Mac or something. Of course, but like you don't, but you, you don't use Office. But if you're in like a corporate setting and people are, or like me, I'm a designer, so people will send me Photoshop files and I have to be able to open it and use it. So I have to get the latest version. But how do they convince you to buy the latest code editor? Like that's a little bit of a tougher sell. So I'll totally go over that uh, during this this kind of review of IntelliJ. I, I had a chance to review both IntelliJ 14 and 15 because I my license is still valid and they haven't switched over yet. But um, you know, I went through. I've been using IntelliJ 14 for a long time, and there's like a lot of bad stuff in using TypeScript. Like they're they're bundled. They have TypeScript bundled so they can use language services or whatever they they need for. The, the TypeScript and they can do compi compilation for you and everything. Um, but it doesn't have TS lint support. It doesn't support your TS config. Um, it doesn't pick up anything automatically. And um, it doesn't have support for like the latest stuff. Like, can you pay for this? I do. He gladly pays for it every year. I, I do. You know, it, it's nice having everything all in one place. It's all set up. And like, Wait, so, so even if, even if it's not everything. So what you're saying is that they added a, a bunch of new features that support all sorts of new stuff. And that for some reason, you had to pay them for the development work. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I know. <This> nonsense. <laughs> Who do they think they are? EA Sports? I know. <laughs> as a software development company, we should be against this, right? They no, this is ridiculous. <laughs> they should, they should get Madden source, as right? the spokesman and just put it in front. <laughs> Madden IntelliJ 2016. Um, so yeah, like well, no, because then they'll remove features every year, only to add them back in the next year to get you to pay for it. So that's probably not a good idea. Is that how Madden? I haven't played Madden in a long, yeah, long, that's long, long time. they they update the roster and rip out old features that you loved, and then two years later they bring it back and you go out and buy it. Know, it was, so they'll rip out like the cursor. Oh, you can't have a blinking cursor now. That's what they'll yeah. do to you. They're like, oh no, you can't open files that end in .js. Um, we remove that feature, but you know, from online coding, you can totally do that only. Oh yeah, it'll be a it'll be a nightmare. Don't do that. Uh, see, the last football game I think I played was Mutant League football, and uh, that was oh, a while. Great game. That was a while ago. Love me some Mutant League football. That was an amazing one. Anyway, um, yeah, way off track, but uh, yeah. So they <laughs> they had a bunch of they had a bunch of like old code issues. You know, they they were quick to release TypeScript support for you know TypeScript one four, and then they they kind of spun on it for a while. Um, and you know, there's a lot of ways that you can like make it work. Uh, with IntelliJ 14, like you can go into your your language frameworks uh, in your properties and go to TypeScript, and there's a whole bunch of different stuff you can do there. So like you can set a compiler version that's not 1.4, and then you start getting more language features and things like that that you don't get with their bundled TypeScript. And you can go in and you can set uh, under JavaScript, you can set, hey, I'm using ES6, so when you transpile ES6 stuff it actually recognizes that syntax and it has had ES6 support for a good long time as well. And then um, the, the last thing that I found that's that's useful is a last ditch effort. If you really want all of the code completion and some of the typings and things like that is you can go into your 
uh, again, your language and frameworks, it has JavaScript libraries in there and it can pull down anything you want from definitely typed. Like it has support for all the ambient declarations. You can search all of ambient, uh, uh, definitely typed. And they have like, they have, I think all almost 1000 definitely typed definitions in there. And does it have Taylor? I don't know. You can so. <laughs> I'll have I'll ask Neil later. He'll he'll tell us. He'll he'll add it to show notes. Okay. But um, yeah. So it has all that stuff, and and it can actually absorb ambient declarations and include that for completions and things. So, I don't know, Nick. I'm I don't know if Vim has completions, but IntelliJ you can just hit Command Space or Control Space depending on if you're a Windows or Mac guy. Yeah, you can do that with Vim. You just hit Tab, uh, and it, I mean that's how I have it set up. At least you just hit Tab. I think in Vanilla Vim, it's Control N, maybe. Uh huh. Um, and then a popover comes up with all your documentation, and you can you can click through to the superclass and all that stuff. Uh, okay, no. How much is it? <laughs> there is actually though? a dash plugin though, so it can open up uh, like doc, uh, documentation in Dash, which is pretty cool. Which I think is That's Mac nice. only. So yeah. So how much is IntelliJ, and should I try it? It it varies. I don't know what the current pricing structure is right now. So I, I picked up my personal version. You're the worst salesman ever. I'm not trying this to sell this stuff. I'm just informing, man. <laughs> how much? How Apparently, much this was uh, this was brought to you by the letter IntelliJ. Uh, this episode. How much is it per hour? Yeah. <laughs> or is it by is it by character strokes, like keystrokes? It's like point, point, point zero one cents per hour. You know they haven't released that feature yet, uh, but no, it's uh, ninety nine cents assuming. a feature. Yeah, so um, I think I think it's what one one or two hundred dollars for a yearly license for IntelliJ, and those used to be permanent. And I'm hoping they they release a permanent licensing structure again. Um, I know it's more for a corporate license than it is for a personal license, um, and it's free if you're doing open source work. So they have a community. Well, I was edition. listening to a conspiracy. That is I was cool. To a conspiracy theorist, and apparently we're all corporations, so that's going to be a tough. Um, yeah but so yeah i mean it's very usable and then intellij 15 came out and it now has support for all your ts config stuff it it integrates with your ts lint and so you get warnings on the right side of your 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 file for not just ts lint it also has js hint and lint and editor config support and um pretty much every or jscs all out of the box um which is nice and you can still I have that do... in Vim with with only fifty four simple plugins. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So Neil, what do you use? What do you use, Neil? I mean, I've been messing with Visual Studio Code lately, but it does a bunch of it does a bunch of stuff for me, which is kind of infuriating. Like there, it, yeah. Like it makes dinner. Like what does it do for you exactly? It's well, like it, ambient it, declarations, it, right? Yeah. Well. It, I've been using it to, to test ambient declarations, but it seems to include all of them by default. Mm-hmm. So you don't really you don't define relationships between your typings and your TS files. So it just includes everything, and you get all sorts of. So what do you use and, when you're not using when you're not testing this? What uh, do you use before that? For most of my stuff, I use the original version of TextMate, like TextMate one. Okay. Um, I'm using uh, Sublime Text three, and I, I started working on a color theme style theme thing for it because I just it has to be the exact way I want it and none of them are so much in my tradition of adium uh extras that I create just for myself and then release um I started working on this but have you ever tried doing a color scheme for these things I've I've messed around with it 
It's not fun. It's easy in it's text. It's a bunch of XML. It's easy in text, and then... How? Oh, I have a UI wait. for it. There's a UI. Well, there's yeah. a, um, a really cool editor online that you can use uh, for uh, TextMate or for Sublime Text. And it's TextMate theme. Like, I, they, I think that actually they just changed the, the, the theme thing. So that's different now. But yeah, it's actually pretty cool. There's one. Um, I have put that. But man, what a nightmare. Because, like, that's cool. There's there's a million different things that you didn't know exist that you if you you like set that name and set the color and then yeah it's weird so yeah back to IntelliJ just for a second uh, I'm just curious Paul like Vim aside there's other ones like Visual Studio Code and Atom uh, that are both completely open source and then there's Sublime Text which might still be being developed I don't know I think I think Visual Studio Code is Atom. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's using it's Electron, right? It, yeah. It's, oh, it's on. T- is it on top of Atom completely? I think they, I think they bought Atom, and it's on top of Atom. What? Oh, did they? All right. Well, it used to be GitHub. That's a show notes to... thing, right? Right, GitHub uh, used to work on Atom, right? Yeah, and they still do. Yeah, but I think they sold it to... Yeah, we'll figure it out later. Yeah. That's... No, it's no, made, just made with love, coded here. with love by GitHub on Atom.io. Um unless they haven't updated that. Anyway, I'm just curious, like the things that you were mentioning, like I can get all of that set up in Vim easily, JSHint, editor config, TSLint, uh, all of that set up really easy, but things like Visual Studio Code and and Atom, you know, it's the same thing. You just bring in the plugins that you need and there are several plugins available for it. So you just, you find what you need, bring it in. And I'm, I'm just curious, like what appeal something like like, like to me, I think of IntelliJ and I just think Java and I just, my eyes glaze over and I get, you know, I slow down like my computer does when it runs Java. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, are you, is there something, is there a reason to pay for it when you have these really good looking free editors like Adam and, and Visual Studio Code? Um, he blows his nose with hundred dollar bills though. So like that should tell you something. <laughs> yeah, but I wash them later and reuse them. Because it's, it's environmental. <laughs> it, it's the environment's important to this. Um, so one of the things I like about IntelliJ is it, it unifies your keystrokes. So if I'm working in Java and I need to come over to JavaScript, I don't have to learn like a new IDE. Um, I know you can do a lot of that in, in Vim, but um, a lot of the other editors either are missing features. And if you're doing any kind of Java work, you need like Insano tools because Java is basically like all metaprogramming now. You use you know, decorators or, or I'm sorry, annotations and you use Maven, which is all XML. Nobody wants to look at XML. So you have to have a view for Maven and it, like, there's a lot of tools surrounding it. Uh, um, IntelliJ has like a database connection that you can use JDBC drivers to connect to different databases. And, you know, it, it brings in a lot of the stuff that's been collected over the years for Java and all the other languages. So you can do PHP in it. You can do, um, Python, if I remember correctly, they've added C++. Um, they don't just do JavaScript and, and TypeScript, which is super important to, to like what we do all the time. But if you need to go outside that box, all your keystrokes are going to be the same. Your entire syntax hiding, lighting and view is going to be familiar. The theming that Tori was talking about earlier like is unified across all of that. And, and you can just select different themes. Like I think there's six themes, a light and a dark, and variations on that. Um, so like it has a lot of great integration. And that's what I look for in an IDE. In a text editor, I want simple, quick, and you know, just the tools I need for the language I'm using. In an IDE, you want that integration. IntelliJ does a decent job of that. 
And he wants so, less money at the end too. Yeah, I guess I'm confused. More time, like, less money. Like if if I wanted to go and do, uh, I don't know, Python in Atom, are you saying that I wouldn't be able to do that, or it would have different different keyboard shortcuts for editing in a Python file versus a CoffeeScript file versus a JavaScript file? I haven't used. I'm, Python. Ju- I'm curious. I don't. I don't use it, so I'm. I haven't not. used Python in Atom very extensively. Um, I know that. I came from using uh, Flex, and um, and that's what I first started with IntelliJ, Flex, and J- uh, Java. And both of those really benefited from the tools there. Um, so going to JavaScript was pretty natural, and I can still do all of my other stuff without having to go through a big setup step. Um, sure. I'm not saying it can't be done in Atom. Um, I, I think Atom is, is basically a text editor with some integrations, if, if I remember correctly. Like I haven't used it in a while either. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, but I mean, like you can bring in the the functionality you need through its vast plugin architecture. So it's got, or it's it's vast plugin ecosystem. It's got, uh, you know, JS Hint. Obviously, you can bring that in, or or TSLint, or ESLint, or whatever, and you can bring in uh, editor config and others for other languages. I'm talking about JavaScript because it's like all I write now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that like, like, and, and I do that with Vim too. Is I have actually a lot of plugins commented out because I don't like like I was experimenting with Go for a while, but I have the I have that commented out so that it doesn't need to load or do anything when I open it up, um, and I, I just don't need that. But if I ever want to bring it in, I can just uncomment it and and it's back. But. Uh, I guess I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Nor do I. <laughs> I, Nor I do guess I. like like I'm having a hard time just putting my head around paying for something. And, and I know like I, it's good to support developers for sure. Uh, and, and I guess it's it's not like I'm not trying. I'm not ragging on you for using IntelliJ. Like oh, I was. <laughs> Um, I think, I think it's great. And I think that whatever tool you use, you have to learn it inside and out to be efficient in it day to day. Sure. And you, you'll learn that anyway. So it's good that you have that. And it does have a lot of integrations into it, especially if I were, um, a windows user, maybe I think that it would give me more of a programming environment, you know, with a, I, I don't know if it has like a, a bash style shell inside of it that I could use. But that would be it does, way better yeah. than using the terrible command.exe. It has integration. Others, you know. Yeah, it has integration with all of your version controls. Uh, it has Git, GitHub, and all of that, as well as terminals, and it keeps track of all that. It has, it has its own version of like um, stash, so you can have an agnostic oh. stash. It'll create patches basically and reapply patches. So. If you're working across version control systems, you can agnostically stash something and then bring it into another, you know, system or, or whatever, and it'll integrate all that stack together. If you're across different version control systems, which, you know, rarely happens nowadays. A lot of us have centered on Git, but there, there's a lot of niceties to it. I think I think there's not one size fits all solution. If you want to use Vim, I think that's great, but you got to be involved in Vim. You have to be you know, know of the plugins and use them. And I, I think Atom is a lot of the same in that regard. Like you have to, you have to know the plugins you really want and that's going to benefit you. Whereas, you know, I, I pay some developers for their time and, and they put stuff together for me. Um, so it's a more, nice. a more curated, more, um, I don't know, 
potentially more solid environment just because it's it's a core set of developers that are are putting together the the experience for you yeah it's good to know that yeah that they're there you know that their livelihood depends on writing good stuff and it sure you know like it's also great when you have a developer that creates a plugin for vim or adam or something like that that needs it that that's even better in my in my book but it doesn't always happen for everything you need and it's nice to have that ongoing support for important tools. Yeah, cool totally. Stuff. I think well, it's totally important. Sharing that. We're going to wrap up here. Uh, thank you guys uh, and dog and child for <laughs> gracing our podcast today. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Um, going to get this, uh, going to get our subscribers up from, from the 100 million that we have now to maybe 101, 100 million and one. <laughs> um, so if you go to if everyone tells their friend, we might, if we all had enough friends, we might get there to one more person. So I don't know where I'm going with this either, but thank you guys for, uh, for coming out today. It was fun. Thanks for having me. I was rolling down the window cause I like to feel the wind blow. We got a good thing. Gonna see where the day goes. Take it fast, take it real slow. We got a good thing Hey, we got a good thing going Hey, we got a good thing going Hey, we got a good thing going Pick a boulevard and drive down in the city or a small town, we got a good thing. Lots of breeze, not a rainstorm. So, baby, open up your front door. We got a good thing. Got a good thing going on. We got a good.